Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. My name is Clay, and I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. Thank you for letting my family and me join you for worship. I've been friends with Stephen Saxton for a long time. Just this past summer, he and I were both able to volunteer together at Woodland Christian Camp. We were there for a high school week of camp. A lot of your high school students were there. So Stephen came to be with them and to serve all the other high school students in the area. I remember specifically two afternoons in a row where Stephen and I were given the task of filling up hundreds of water balloons. Uh, We spent so much time filling it up, you know, getting wet. I enjoyed talking with him the whole time. But then the teenagers destroyed those water balloons in 30 seconds, you know, just like that. All, All that hard work was gone. But I want you to know, and I'm sure you do know, how great of a pastor you have in Stephen Saxon. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his calling and the kingdom work that God is using him to do in ministry right here with you and right here alongside of you. Now, if you're a guest today, Islands Christian Church has been studying the book of Joshua. The Israelites have left Egypt. They've wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Moses has passed away. Joshua is the new Moses now leading God's people. In week one, we saw Joshua being called and be strong and courageous was the command. Last week, Stephen taught through the story of two spies hiding with Rahab. And Rahab made a deal with the spies, you know this, and salvation through the Lord was granted to Rahab and her entire household. She even ends up listed in the genealogy of Jesus. What a crazy story. So today, we move to chapters three and four. And the Israelites, as you know, they're getting ready to head into the promised land. Jericho, you know, that's a famous Bible city. Uh, Actually, um, recently, I met a missionary friend who lives in Jericho. And it's super cool to actually talk to somebody who is there. He was visiting in Savannah. And so we had taken him out to lunch. It was kind of spur of the moment. And I said, oh, I wish we had taken you to the pirate's house because the oldest house in Savannah, like the oldest house in Georgia is there. And he said, well, you come visit me in Jericho and I'll take you to Zacchaeus's house. <laughs> you know, kind of like a mic drop moment. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, right. Uh, they're, they're getting ready to head to, to Jericho. It's one of the first places on the way. But there's a problem for Joshua and the Israelites before they can cross into the promised land. And it's this, the Jordan River stands between the people and the promised land. So we want to start the story in Joshua chapter 3, verse 7 today. And you can turn in your Bible if you brought it. We'll have it on the screens too. But this reads just like a novel. It reads like the script of a dramatic play. So uh, we're just going to read this. We're going to visit this story. Uh, I don't have an illustrated copy, but if so, I would show you the pictures, that kind of thing as well. But this is Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to read Uh, to about verse 7 of chapter 4. So here it goes. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, 
and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And this starts chapter four. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Let's start our time together with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this story. Thank you that we can read of your faithfulness, providing a way for your people to cross what would be otherwise impassable. God, I pray that you would remind us of your presence today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our eyes and our ears as we reflect on this scripture passage. And Father, please cleanse me that I might be a vessel worthy of handling your truth this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, my wife, Karen, and I, we are not Savannah natives. How many of you have lived in Savannah your whole life from birth to today? Okay, that's a good bit. How many of you have come from somewhere else? I want to see your hands too. Very good. Uh, Karen and I, we grew up in Metro Atlanta. We both went to college around the Atlanta area. We spent a good bit of our ministry time serving a church in Atlanta and we moved to Savannah 10 years ago. It's like the blink of an eye, but it has been 10 years. And you know, whenever you move to a new place, it takes you a little while to get your bearings. So when we moved to Savannah 10 years ago, uh, the first few weeks were all about figuring out how to get around, uh, where we needed to go. And the most important question, of course, is where is the closest Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Not really. It was where's the closest Walmart, right? Uh, because you have to have groceries. You, you have to have all the little odds and ends that come up when you're moving to a new place, light bulbs, picture hangers, paper towels. But once we figured out how to get to Chick-fil-A and how to get to Walmart, then it was just something else. Where's the post office? Where's the bank? Where's the pharmacy? Where's the Home Depot? Where's the Target? And of course, after a few months, we're able to 
figure out where everything was, and it didn't take us long before we knew the back roads and shortcuts and that kind of thing. Uh, right away, though, coming from Atlanta, we noticed that it was a little bit more difficult to get around town in Savannah than in Atlanta. And what I mean by that is when you get stuck in traffic in Atlanta, because you do get stuck in traffic in Atlanta every time you go, you, you know, when, you're, when you need another way to drive, you have 37 different options of roads that you can take. And they're all named Peachtree Street. I'm just kidding about that. But, you know, there's a lot of different options. But in Savannah, there is water in the way almost everywhere you go. There's just really a couple of bridges across town. Um, a, a good example, and, you know, it's called Islands Christian Church. We're, we're out on an island here. So if you're headed to Tybee Island and the road is washed over, if you're out on Tybee, you're stuck on Tybee, right? And if you're not on Tybee, you're not going to get to Tybee while the road is washed over. There's no other way to get there. Now, when we moved to Savannah, it was because I had taken a pastor position at a church, and the church was on kind of the east side of town, not too far from here. And our family found a house in this gorgeous little neighborhood, and we just really loved it. But it's in the Georgetown area. And I don't know, it was eight, nine, maybe 10 miles from the church. But no, that's no big deal to Atlanta people. I mean, that's just not far at all. It's a 15, 20-minute drive. You drive that far in Atlanta to get a gallon of milk late at night, you know, in a time of emergency, that kind of thing. But right before we moved to Savannah, I had met up with another uh, guy working at the church staff, and he took me to breakfast at, uh, I think we are at the Omelette House in the Kroger parking lot on Ferguson Avenue. And we bumped into Mr. Goodman and his son. Now, Mr. Goodman and his son both went to the church that we were working at. So I was introduced to them as the new pastor on staff. And Mr. Goodman said, have you found a place to live? And I said, yeah, we found this great little house in Georgetown, beautiful neighborhood. And I remember the look on his face. His eyes got really big and he looked surprised and he said, all the way over there? And again, I was like, it's not East Alabama. It's just 15 minutes, you know, not, not that big a deal. Uh, but he was surprised. And what Mr. Goodman was really saying is that's all the way on the other side of the little Ogeechee River. And you're going to have to cross that river every day. And, you know, after living here for a bit, I began to understand what Mr. Goodman meant. These rivers around us kind of set up boundary lines, the Savannah River, the bigger Ogeechee River, the Vernon River, the Herb River, Skidaway River, the Wilmington River, Bull River. You know, rivers, they may just seem like features on a map, just water rolling by, but these are kind of natural dividing lines. If you live on Wilmington Island or Whitmarsh Island, then you're probably going to go to the Walmart on this side of the Wilmington River. If you live on this side of the river, you're going to play Little League at Brooks Park and not at Ambuck in, in the middle of Savannah. You know, the, these rivers, they do divide us and they represent our identities. They end up representing who we are and, and they closely define the places and territories that we are from. And then to cross a river, to cross a boundary line is to step into maybe unknown territory. To cross a river then is to maybe step into dangerous territory. And so I thought about all the rivers we have in Savannah when I was reading this passage today. Uh, in the text, the people of Israel, they're massed uh, all together on the edge of the river of Jordan. And again, as we know from the book of Numbers, uh, the people had just spent 40 years, 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. So it goes without saying that these folks are tired. They are ready to get where they're going, but there is 
this massive river right in their way. Now, this little story from Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, it may not be on your highlight reel of biblical favorites, and it may not even be one that you grew up learning about in vacation Bible school. But nonetheless, this is a dramatic moment. It's an important moment in the life of Israel. Keep in mind, this is not just the culmination of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. This is also the moment when God's original promise to Abraham is about to be fulfilled. So you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, he's going to give him the land of Canaan to his offspring. And he tells Abraham, they're going to be this great nation. And yet here they are hundreds of years later, and they still have not taken possession of the promised land. So it's important for us to remember what's at stake. And these people stand by the side of what looks to be the impassable River Jordan. And this isn't, this isn't just about, you know, getting out of the desert, finding a nice little neighborhood and a little home and settling down. Uh, this is about God keeping God's promises. In many ways, this passage of Scripture is the culmination of everything that has happened since that moment hundreds of years before when Abraham and Sarah first set out onto their journey into the unknown. So this is more than just a casual trip to Walmart or Chick-fil-A crossing the little Ogeechee River on Highway 204. For the people of Israel, this is the beginning of a new life, a life that has been anticipated, a life that has been awaited for many generations. But first, they have to cross that river. And crossing the river is no easy task because as verse 15 told us, the Israelites were gathered at the river during the time of the year when the Jordan is flooded. And all of us, we've seen a river or creek right after a severe storm when it has overflowed its banks and the current is strong and the current is powerful. And that's exactly what's happened here. It's springtime. The snow up on Mount Hermon has begun to melt, leaving the Jordan River overflowed and impassable. And we can almost imagine the desperation on the people's faces as they come to Joshua, and they say, you know, here we are, finally, after all this time, we're so close, so close to our goal, and yet so far away, we're being blocked again. And that might strike a chord with some of us here this morning, because there's always a river in the way, isn't there? <laughs> there's always something preventing us from where God is asking us to go. Even when we're on the verge of great opportunities, there's always something holding us back, something in our way. And you know, it doesn't have to be a tangible thing or a physical feature. Maybe our river that we're having a hard time crossing is bitterness over a failed relationship. Have you ever had somebody that you love dearly who hurt you severely? You know, forgiving your family members and your closest friends, that feels like Sunday School 101. But forgiveness is a difficult and hard river to cross. It can be. Maybe our river is discouragement and a sense of helplessness as we grow older and as our bodies age. You know, moving to a nursing home or assisted living, leaving your place of comfort, 
or just becoming dependent on your children that you raised to take care of you, those are tough rivers to step into and to cross. Maybe our river is an addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography, and those things can feel absolutely impassable. But all of us have a river. All of us have some barrier in our lives that's keeping us from moving forward. And I think that just like the people of Israel in this text we read today, many of us were massed uh, on the riverbank, unable to cross because of our doubts and our fears, and we are stuck. Our feet are stuck in the mud, and we don't know how to move forward. But we find the answer in this passage of Scripture. God tells Joshua that the waters of the river will part and the people will cross the Jordan together if they obey, if they have faith, and if the priests of Israel bear the Ark of the Covenant before them. Now keep in mind, as we know from Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant is a big gold box. And like Sean told us, it contained the Ten Commandments. That's where those were kept. The Ark of the Covenant, it was kept in the innermost part of the tabernacle as the Israelites traveled through the wilderness. And it was more than just a big suitcase, right? The Ark of the Covenant was the physical manifestation of God's presence here on earth. It was as close as you could get to touching God himself. And so in essence, God is telling the Israelites, if you want to cross this river, then you've got to hold on to me. If you want to get across, you've got to hold on to me. And in the story, that's what happened. The priests carry the Ark of the Covenant to the middle of the river and stand there while the water piles up so that the people of Israel can walk across on dry land until they reach the other shore. And can you imagine uh, a river stopping and water standing up in a heap? That's a powerful image, isn't it? It's the idea that God himself is standing there holding the water back. That God himself gets between us and our obstacles and keeps us safe from the things that threaten to overwhelm us. We have a tendency to concentrate on the obstacles. We look at the river and we see the strength of the current. We see the size of the waves and we say it can't be done we're stuck. But with God's vision, Joshua was able to not just see the mighty river, he was able to see the way across the river. And that's what it takes. It takes that vision from God, that confidence that nothing is impossible with the Lord, that nothing is impassable with the Lord. But you know, in a certain sense, our fears are well-founded. If we did try to cross the river on our own, it would just wash us downstream, sweep us right away. It's only with God's presence among us that we will be able to find a way forward. Now, sometimes people will come to me, uh, you know, I've been a pastor at a church for a really long time, and they'll say, Clay, I just don't know where I've gone wrong. I've always tried to do the right thing. I've always come to church. I've always prayed I've been a good person, but I just can't seem to get past this one particular situation. And you know what I tell them? 
You can't. <laughs> you can't. On our own, we can only do so much. And it really doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how successful we've been. It doesn't matter how many businesses you've founded and led. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. There are just some things in life that you and I cannot do on our own. We just don't have the strength for it. And I know the myth of rugged independence that we Americans like to believe in. We, we say we've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we don't need anybody and we don't need anything to help us. We can get it done on our own. But that myth is not true. And it's certainly not biblical. Because as we see in this passage of Scripture, you and I cannot cross the river on our own strength. We need the Lord. We need God's presence surrounding us. We need God's presence sustaining us. The solution to move forward when we're stuck is not to become more independent. It's the opposite. It's to become dependent, to trust God wholeheartedly. Some of us have been trying to build a bridge across the river for a while now. And believe me, we just can't do it on our own. It's only when we rely on God that we will find the waters parted and the road clear ahead. In this passage of Scripture, the people of Israel, they trust God wholeheartedly. They obey even when it doesn't make that much sense. Oh, just go stand in the water. The river will stop flowing. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a good plan. You know, it doesn't sound like it's going to work. But they do it and they cross the river to the promised land. And if we stopped the story at verse 7 of chapter 4, like I did a moment ago when we read, it might seem like everything turned out just like it should. God showed up, provided a way across. The Israelites did make it safely over. Yes, yeah, it's happily ever after, right? That's how the story ends. Not really, not really. If you keep reading the book of Joshua, which you will, and then if you read the book of Judges, and then the rest of the Old Testament, we find that far from being safe and secure, the Israelites will spend the next 500 years fighting wars with the surrounding nations. And eventually, most of them will be killed. A lot of them will be driven out to exile. And so we might ask the question, if all this other bad stuff is going to happen, what's even the point of this story? If all this other... Bad stuff is going to continue to happen. What's the point of trusting God at all? That way of thinking is quite pervasive. And it's because we trick ourselves into thinking that once we cross the river, we're home free. But here's the thing. In life, there's always another river to cross. When you heard this story read this morning, you're like, maybe I've heard this before. You know, have the people been in front of a large body of water trapped and needed to cross? Yes, you have heard that story before, right? Most of the Israelites, though, crossing here, uh, they were young. Uh, there were only two that were left from the first generation who came out of Egypt, and that's Joshua and Caleb. Uh, most of the older generation had died out in the wilderness for their lack of faith. But Joshua and Caleb, they remember too, possibly quite clearly, another river. 40 years before. Now, on that occasion, it was Moses who held up his staff and the Red Sea parted as the freed slaves walked across on dry land. 
So at least for Joshua and Caleb, crossing the Jordan into the promised land was not just a demonstration of how God leads us into a new future. It was a reminder of how God has guided us safely in the past. And I think that's a reminder some of us may need this morning. Because it's easy to believe that once you cross that river, it's smooth sailing from here on out. But the reality is much different. The reality is life is a series of rivers to cross. There's more than just one. We may have crossed that river of retirement, but now we have to worry about having enough money to live on. Maybe we've crossed the river of graduating from high school, but now we're faced with an unstable job market. The Israelites thought they had finally escaped after crossing the Red Sea, coming out of Egypt, and yet here they are, 40 years later, facing the Jordan River. So crossing the river, it's no guarantee that things will be easier in the future. It's always dangerous to enter into unknown territory. It's always dangerous to cross that next river. But rather than get frustrated when we find ourselves once again facing a seemingly insurmountable barrier, maybe, just like Joshua and Caleb, we should think back on what happened before and take comfort in knowing that God has been faithful in the past, and he'll be faithful in the future. And after crossing the river, God asked Joshua to get the people to gather up 12 stones, one for each tribe. And I I believe that God asked Joshua to pile up those stones so the people could remember two things. One, that God will guide us safely in the future, because two, he has guided us safely in the past. This crossing over the river Jordan, it was no accident. It was an intentional way for God to remind Israel of the ways he had saved them in the past. And I think there are times in our own lives we need that same kind of encouragement. We need a stack of stones (laughs) piled up to serve as a memorial to God's provision. We need a stack of stones to remind us of God's blessing. We need a stack of stones to remind us of God's rich generosity and care. Maybe you felt like God was with you before, but you want to know, is God with me now? We thought we were past all those problems. We thought we had moved on, and yet here's another river. What do we do? The answer is, look back at the stack of stones. With the grace of God, he will lead you across the next river. Now, maybe the new river in front of you is one, you know, a particular one you've never crossed before, but as long as God is with us, We can cross any river that comes into our path. And just like the children of Israel, we can rejoice that God's power is not limited to a one-time event, but really it is an ongoing grace-filled relationship that carries us all the way through life's series of rivers. And incidentally, that's why crossing the Jordan River, it's become a euphemism for going to heaven. In this lifetime, you and I will always have a river to cross. It's just one darn thing after another. But as another old hymn says, in the sweet by and by, we will meet on that beautiful shore. And on that day, we will celebrate that at long last, after crossing many rivers along the way, God has safely led us to the promised land. I have a cousin named uh, Mike. And Mike is actually 
my mother's first cousin. We have a big family. When you have a big family, you know exactly who's once removed, twice removed, all that kind of stuff. But Mike is my first cousin once removed. Uh, Mike is about the same age as my parents in his 70s. Uh, He grew up in East Point, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Mike ended up going to Bible college at Lincoln Christian College, where he met the love of his life, Patricia Sue Jenner. And Mike and Pat were married on June 5th, 1971, long before I was even married. (laughs) Together, Mike and Pat crossed many rivers. They served in churches and in ministries, led choirs, all kinds of stuff. And throughout their marriage, they held on to Jesus, just like those Israels were holding on to the Ark of the Covenant. Mike and Pat had five children, 18 grandchildren. uh, And that's just some of the fruit of their life with Jesus. (laughs) Now, I can't remember exactly when, uh, but Pat began having problems with her health. Uh, She would get worse and then get better, worse and then get better. And then out of nowhere, Pat unexpectedly passed away in the middle of the night on March 7th, 2017. Pat's funeral was March 10th, six years ago. And I remember being there six years ago, all those 18 grandchildren dressed in their Sunday best. And near the end of the funeral service, Mike got up to say a few words about losing his bride. He got up to say a few words about their 45 years together in marriage. And and courage is what I remember. (laughs) Mike being so strong and so courageous to stand up in front of the church to speak about his beautiful wife and their life together. I remember Mike, um, he, he said to everybody, he had absolutely no interest and stepping into this next river of life without his wife by his side. But he had no choice. What would his life be like after losing his wife of 45 years? This would be the hardest thing he ever had to do. But then Mike reminded those 18 grandchildren that they are living stones for him. If you're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 2, it tells us that we are being build as living stones into the foundation of a building that is God's kingdom. And he said, you, my grandchildren, are are reminders, living reminders of God's goodness to me, of God's goodness to my wife. And he said to them, he said, grandchildren, you look here, look at me. And I want you to remember this day that Paul Paul got up in front of you and it was his hardest day. And he said, he's never been more afraid. But he told him, he says, your papa has Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you don't back down from the tough things in your life. You face them head on. And he said, when you have Jesus with you, you never give up. And so Mike said, trust Jesus. Watch me, because I'm not going to be perfect, but Jesus will be perfect. And Jesus is going to help me cross that next river. And Mike told his grandchildren, Jesus will be there for you too on your toughest day. Just like he's here for me, your papa, on his toughest day. I remember sitting in the church crying as Mike said those words to his grandchildren. And I remember Joshua leading the Israelites across 
the Jordan River. And it encourages me to rely on the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus in my life. I want the same for you. I want to encourage you to hold on to Jesus. You cannot make it on your own, but the good news is you don't have to. You can rely on the strength of Jesus and the grace of Jesus is sufficient for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these stories of your faithfulness and these stories of your love. God, help us to hold on to you while we step into the next obstacle along our way. Lord, show us someone in our lives that we can talk to who will listen to our fears. Father, help us also to see those who need us to listen to their fears. Father, give us the courage to ask someone else to pray with us as we hold on to Jesus while crossing life's toughest moments. Father, I pray that you would point out to us that we could see a stack of stones in our lives that represents your faithfulness to us. I pray for reminders, and I pray that we could be reminders for others. I pray that we could be your people, that we could be a community, a church, reminding everyone around us that Jesus has the strength to sustain, that Jesus has the strength to part the waters and to carry us safely. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.